What's the story when they say, if you order a coffee and they say, do you want it extra wet? What sort of coffee do you order? Are you is a, a cappuccino? Yes. Cappuccino, yes. Then? And I was, I thought, well, isn't it fairly wet to start with? That enables me to drink it. Is that a level of, is that to do with the level of froth? I don't Maybe. know. I was confused because I know, can you have it extra hot? Extra, extra wet coffee. Extra wet coffee. What's that all about? And that's extra shot, extra hot, extra wet. Why is everything extra in this economy? I understand extra hot and extra shot. Why can't it be included? Why can't the wetness be included? No, it's not about the inclusion of the wetness. <laughs> it's what is... How can, it, how can something that is wet be extra wet? Well, I don't know, but not knowing something has never stopped it's me from, never taking, held you back. from taking a yes. One person <laughs> who might have the answer... You know, the one, one of the four of us that would have the answer to this... I think Stephen would have the answer to this. Well, no, I, I want to hear my best guess first. With, my best guess would be with a cappuccino, it may be to do with the frothiness or otherwise. So extra wet maybe means more liquid, less froth. But wouldn't yeah, his, his best I guess like, is pretty close. I like the f- oh, so it's, it's specific to just well, a, just a cappuccino has this problem because Katie Katie is field based, which basically means she spends an awful lot of time sat in a field. Yeah, <laughs> she works. She Somebody sits, had to say she crosses her legs, sits in a field, yes. and puts her laptop yeah, and, yeah. Her, and types away. How's the Wi-Fi in a field? Oh, she's 4G. You can get it everywhere. She's true. Mm. So she she spends quite a bit of time working in coffee shops. You know, after meetings, she'll find a, a you know a, a oh, local not a coffee shop. Then. No, no, never, <laughs> maybe one day. And and she used to she used to frequent the so same place with that. <laughs> she used to frequent the same coffee shop so often that they they said, oh, we should really start asking you whether you whether you want your cappuccino wet or dry. And she was utterly perplexed. Dry. Wet. Would you, would you like your cappuccino wet or dry? dry. Yeah. And it's something to do with how a cappuccino is like equal parts espresso coffee, steamed milk, and frothy milk. But if you want it wet, you have more. With the oh. steam milk and less ah. froth. And if you want it dry, mm. you have more froth and less... Can I get a dry milk. cappuccino? Yeah. I, I object to all of those uh, chains. Because I think that Why? coffee is very poor quality. And there's no chance of them sponsoring us, so you can say what you is like it be- about Is it because a, a top quality, more authentic Italian cafe has opened now in Didsbury where you can set up shop most of the time and therefore you no need to no need to have to bother yourself with the You've more established chains. Well, haven't you? Me and Hector do spend you a lot of time them. at Casa Italia. That is true. I do love it. Um, they're very nice. Their coffee is absolutely world class. But no, it was the same in London. When I lived in London I would always, I have always been a coffee shop frequenter uh, and I would always choose a small independent. Not only is it nice to support them mm-hmm. but because I, it's, it's just an the amount of liquid that the chains give you. I don't need a coffee that's kind of three feet tall. Just, I mean, you <laughs> spend the, your entire day going to the toilet. So you, you're, you're, we, we won't catch you having a wild wee in bits of Didsbury whilst you're out. A wild wee? That's what we call it with the kids. If the kids are desperate, you know, and you can't get to it. It's a wild time, wee. a wild wee, yeah. I think you're... Is the problem with that not that you're making it sound quite exciting? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so maybe they they're holding it, on. Yeah. They're holding on. I'd rather. I'm not I'd rather. I'd rather it's more exciting than just stopping off at a service station. I'm not doing this in a bathroom. Talking it's rubbish. Of, talking of hot drinks, have you, seen, have you seen this chart? The tea chart. It's, yeah. it's it's done the rounds at many offices. Many many people would have seen it. It's A B C D across the top. One two three four down the left hand side, and basically A one is black, no milk. And uh, D4 is essentially 75% milk or chicken soup. or 10% yeah. tea um, because there's a lot of water in there too. What what, what would you be if you were... Cause I'm, is this tea, is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, a, probably, you, I'm, a, I'm a C3, yeah, I'm which here. is offensive to many people. Yeah, this, that's this disgraceful. This yeah, I'm a, B, I'm a B3. 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 You're not, yeah. but I, I don't mind a D2. Quite I'm happy strong. with a D2. 
Yeah. I'm I'm not a tea drinker. When I was, I'd have been a B2. And in terms of coffee, I'm probably an A2 or a D1. Maybe D1. Very useful. I think they should put this up in every single office because when somebody does the round drinks and they're very, very kind to offer, but if you could just simply say, I'll have a, I'll have a D2, please, they'll know exactly. And so you won't have to go back and get more milk or take milk out or mm. put the bag in for 25 minutes. I actually think you're trying to make yourself sound like a, a more authentic tea drinker than you actually are. I don't think that uh, you're, the way you take your tea is on that chart. <laughs> I think you're offensive. an E5. <laughs> that's yeah. No, Hugh does drink his tea in, <laughs> in a way that is enough to make oh, anyone God, not want to ever drink tea. He basically <laughs> drinks warm milk. Oh, by the way, and yeah. Chinch drinks tea in exactly the same way as I do. So let's not... He's had a sugar you know, and he's had extra milk. You know, so. you're criticising my ability to freestyle with my jokes. Do you want me to make a joke about the, the subject we've oh, just been so talking about? Oh, so last week's about? pod we had our first Chinch's joke of the pod. Yeah. So let's have joke number two. Come so on. Is, is this, is yes, this made up now If you don't make it in the legal world, you can always go to work in a coffee shop because then you can be a barista. No. Yes? Yeah, Do you see no, what I've done no. there? I've crossed over the worlds of, of the legal fraternity with a, a joke with so the good. coffee maker. It doesn't need any explaining. <laughs> that is just wondrous. That's what I could do. That, it's, it's amazing. That is quite a clever joke if you wheel it out in conversation. If you have a friend who is showing off about being a, ba- a barrister yeah. and they say, and then you say, so do you work at Costa or Nero? That, that is a good joke. In the same way as I had a friend years ago, who used to work for an investment bank, UBS. And I used to, every time he mentioned UBS, I'd, uh, forgot oh, I forgot you were there. Oh, I see where this is going. Do you drive the truck? Yes! Why are you kidding? That was better. That's funny, is it? It was, it was a more, it's more, it's more natural. Na- natural segue. More natural. That, natural. It was organic, Chinch. Organic. That's it, yeah. yeah. Mm. Organic. What was? What he did? My yeah. joke. What in about the what I did? No, but it, it's too set piecey. It's it's. Which it's is like I'm going to tell a joke. Everybody, listen to my joke. Here comes the joke. There's the joke. Everybody laugh. Doesn't yeah. make it wrong. Welcome to Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food has been provided for Rory last week. He did tell us that he was going to, and boy, boy, did he deliver! Once again, we've been enjoying pizzas, but not just any pizzas. Goodness me, no, pizzas from M&S. I'm beginning to think you only provide both you and your wife, but also guests with food from M&S. That's incorrect. We do, we do shop at the, the major mega mart near us. I quite like to get my, my fresh meat and fish from independent shops. And we do bulk shops at Aldi. Do you know a good fishmonger? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Where? The one on the corner in Disbury. Excellent. Which is now shut down. It's not. Oh, what? It's open again. It's open again. Oh, they, were just, yeah. they were just renovating, making yeah. it even bigger yeah. no, and more they, impressive. They put a sign on. This is, this is not is that a decent place to broadcasting. They put a sign on saying, we're sorry we've closed down. Yes, and then well, two weeks later, I... opened, opened up oh, again. Right, so I haven't been back since then. So that's, I, yeah, I, I saw the shutting open, down yeah. part. Anyway, Temporarily I closed. I'm not a shop owner, but I know that telling people you've closed forever and then opening two weeks later is bad business practice. But you want to go to the fishmonger, so that's nice. Yeah, but you missed it. Is it a decent place? We have a fish guy. Do you not have a fish guy? That was organic. No, it wasn't because we talked over it. I'm setting you up again. So you want to go to the fishmongers? Yeah. (laughs) Do you not have a fish guy who drives around? Turns up once every day. I thought you had a fish guy. What? A fish guy. No, you don't, guy. you don't subscribe yeah. to the fish guy. He just happens to go down. Oh, the, the guy yeah, yeah, with just, the, yeah. opens up the back the of his hatchback and has got a load of cod loins and that. Like <laughs> no, no, no. no, 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 no. <laughs> For those new to set piece menu, you'll be pleased to know, bearing in mind the quality of the conversation so far, there are 37 more of these. Uh, so we've just taken over your next several recreational runs, dog walks, gym visits and house cleaning shifts or visits to the fishmonger mobile or static. <laughs> Our subjects, one per show, are hopefully as timeless as the football world allows us to be. So go on, dig in, ignore your family for a week or so, 
catch up. We'll accept the blame. And if you'd like to send that blame our way, this is how. At Set Piece Menu is where we are on Twitter. That's an organic segue. Yes, organic segue. And Set Piece Menu at gmail.com. If you are new to Set Piece Menu, uh, then a reminder of the fabulous foursome. I am Hugh Ferris. I am Bill Murray from Ghostbusters. This is Steve Wyeth. He is Hannibal from the A-Team. <laughs> this is Rory Smith. He is the George Harrison from the Beatles. Mm. And Andy Hinchcliffe, the B. Arthur from the Golden Girls. Right, yeah. <laughs> what? Actually, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. nice yeah. to have reference yeah. points from, from 1960s to 1980s. Could have been worse. Popular culture there, pretty hip. Yeah. I, I think I would I think I'd... George is my favourite Beatle. Well, that's why I did it. Yeah. I was trying to be thoughtful to all of us and to therefore... Insult Chinch. Yes. Yeah. Bathos Chinch. Or Pathos. No, it's not Pathos. It's Bathos. Bathos. Definite Bathos. Mm. Bathotic. <laughs> why, why is Chinch the one who is nodding most furiously? I'm just waiting until we get on to the next conversation. This is just awful, the way you pick on me. Not enough jokes. <laughs> not enough of my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time to enter our set-piece menu contest for predicting the Premier League final table predictions league extravaganza, by the way, if you'd like to. That's a joke, Chinch. You see, recurring, yeah, yeah. recurring joke, different every time. Click on the link on the set-piece menu Twitter account or studiously make a note of it now and type it in manually if you prefer tinyurl.com slash set-piece menu. Enter your team name and then put the 20 Premier League teams in the order you think they'll finish in May. And we have a lovely and not at all complicated scoring system that rewards how close your prediction is to the reality and we'll arrange you all in a league table you'll be able to see your progress throughout the season but you only have until the 1st of September to register your prediction so please do not delay you have moments only moments if you're not on Twitter you can still just Google set piece menu Twitter and find out uh, everything you need to there you don't have to log on uh, to click on that link so do enter now you can edit your selections until the end of August but there is no need to wait to register and once again the prize for reasons beyond our control is something of no monetary value whatsoever so head to the Set Piece Menu Twitter page, give us a follow, and click on the link to register your predictions in the, again, Chinch, this is why it's funny, the Set Piece Menu Contest for Predicting Premier League Final Table Predictions League. And what are the chances of actually getting it right again? Uh, what did we say last week? It is, uh, well, you know, there, there's, a, there's a hope. You've got to cling on to the hope. And the hope is, is 2.43 million billion to one. Mm. So get cracking. Good luck with You've that. You've got to be in it to win it. Coming up, we have uh, a soccer story as ever, but first, the sensible stuff. Our subject on Set Piece Menu this week has had its genesis in a classic Rory Smith Twitter thread. A mild-mannered, thoughtful, well-sourced and intelligent Rory rant. People always say it's a rant. It's not. I'm, I very rarely rant in life. It's a str- I'd describe it as a stream of consciousness. Yeah, I not, yeah not I'm rant. happy with that. Yeah. A river well, of consciousness. It was about the not possible shifting of footballing power, a changing of the footballing hierarchy, if you will. Could the future of football be somewhere other than Europe? China has money, the MLS has America. Can they compete with the history of Europe? Or are choices made by players and coaches going to be more with head than heart? Is the pragmatic footballer of the future more drawn to a life in Miami or LA than Manchester or Barcelona? Or even Kin Huang Dao instead of Crystal Palace? I will go to extraordinary <laughs> lengths to alliterate. Is Kin Huang Dao a place? It is, it, it is, a, it is a place. That's do they have a football team? They do have a football team in the Chinese Super League. Wow. I'm Research has taken place. Yeah. Uh, so there we are, a series of fairly rhetorical questions to get us going. But seeing that he was the man responsible for the mild-mannered rant, or shall we say stream of consciousness, Rory, over to you. Uh, so I call this the Martin Sturtle theory. <laughs> it's got a name. Is it trademarked? It's not trademarked. Nothing I come up with is trademarked. I really should trademark it all. It's all extremely valuable. No, so the, it's something that, that occurred to me when there was talk of 
of David Beckham's group getting the finally getting the license for the team in Miami in in MLS. But it was also because I I'd, I'd spent uh, some time with a Premier League football footballer over the last few months, uh, and the subject of America had come up, uh, and he had said that he knew of quite a few players who were drawn to finishing their career in MLS, but not at the David Villa 35, I've got nothing else to do, I might as well go and live in New York for a couple of years, Pirlo stage, at the kind of, I'm 30, I've probably had my best years in Europe, I think I'd like to go to America now and have 10 years there type, obviously playing for a bit and then retiring in America. And it's it's led to this theory that I've, I've always kind of thought, which is that we believe that Everything is as it is now, because this is the way it has always been and will always be. We are we are slaves to the present. We always believe that everything is for the best. This is the best of all. It's, it's Pandlossianism. We fear change. Everything is is as it is, which is, and this is the best of all possible worlds, and it will continue to be the best of all possible worlds. So it will not change. So we assume, in a football context, that Europe is the centre of football. We, no one would dispute that. That the big five leagues, the leagues that people want to play in, are all in Europe. Everyone wants to play in the Champions League. No one disputes that. And therefore, because that is as it is now, that that is how it will always be. And I don't quite agree with that. I think that the Champions League does have an enormous draw for players. But I also think that things are not as they are now. Things have not always been as they are now. So there was a time when the best players in the world played in South America just as much as they played in Europe. This is a relatively short span of history that the, the best players in the world are all concentrated in these five leagues. It's really only the last 15, 20 years that that's been the case, to be perfectly honest, since Bosman. So it's perfectly possible it could change. And the way that I think it might change is partly with China and money, although that's more complicated now than it used to be. But it's partly with America, because America does have a huge cultural draw in Europe to footballers, particularly in Germany. There's a lot of, Ameri- of German players who are kind of obsessed with, German- with American culture, the most no- notable of which is Jerome Boateng. If I was a betting man, I would bet that Jerome Boateng will at some point go and play in MLS. I thought you meant the other way around and were go- was going to use David Hasselhoff as the example. David Hasselhoff obviously is the main American ambassador to Germany and he does have an office in Bonn. But the, <laughs> <laughs> the, and the, 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 Miami, the Miami thing is significant to round this, this random stream of consciousness off um, because at the moment... If you're a player and you've got used to a certain type of lifestyle and a certain kind of level of living, you look at MLS and you think, all right, there's New York City FC, there's the Red Bulls, both in New York, there's LA Galaxy and LAFC who start next year in Los Angeles. They are places that I could live. You might think about Chicago. Schweinsteiger's gone to Chicago. Chicago is a name that kind of resonates. Other cities in the States, even Seattle and Portland, which are both fantastic, meant to be fantastic cities, don't resonate quite as much. Uh, I think for climate reasons as possibly for climate reasons and also distance I guess is probably a factor Miami resonates hugely so the Martin Schertl theory is that at the age of 30 when Martin Schertl comes to the end of his elite career he has the choice between going to Fenerbahce Besiktas West Ham United and Miami even for less money I think five times out of ten Martin Schertl or his ilk go to Miami and I think that potentially is a game changer for MLS that it, the more teams they have like that who can attract those players, the more viable it becomes as a destination. How long is it going to take before you get a 25-year-old player in the prime of his career, the peak of his powers, going to play in the MLS? Because I always tend to think of players going to America when they're 30-plus for a certain reason. Maybe younger players going to China for the financial reasons. When would a player or would a player choose to go and play in America or in China 
when he has that option available to him and he's at the peak of his powers, he's say 25 at the very best he's going to be. Do you think there will be a point when players will say, I think the MLS is where I should be playing the best football of my career or in China is where I should be playing it? Well, the answer to that is always people or the response to that would always be, oh, you know, all players want to play in the Champions League. So they'll stay in Europe, they'll yep. play in the Champions League. And that was certainly when I tweeted this stream of consciousness rant, uh, people said, oh no, it will ne- it'll never happen. The Champions League is, is, all, is all powerful. That's where everyone wants to be. But the thing is that the vast majority of players aren't in the Champions League. Mm. And, and can't be. And can't yeah. be. And will and never be at a club that is Yeah, are, are not very likely to be in the Champions League at any point. You might get a move, I guess, as a substitute to a team that desperately needs a signing. If you're a Westbrook, you know, if you're James Morrison, I like James Morrison as a player, so I'm going to use him as an example. James Morrison might at some point theoretically get a move to Spurs and be a sub. But, it's, but basically James Morrison is going to spend his entire career not playing in the Champions League. So I... Players of that level, I, th- yeah, I wonder. That's interesting. How what percentage of players in those the top five European mm. leagues don't play Champions League football? Uh, what's for, dude, for, for well, only four of twenty clubs yeah. do? So, so you just tend to think, well, you'd stay in Europe because you've got a chance of playing in the Champions League. But the vast percentage no. of players don't have any. Don't get anywhere near no. it. Okay. Twenty yeah, percent yeah. of players yeah. play in the Champions League. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Th- Thirty-two yeah. teams in the. And it will change, obviously, over. And that's yeah, that's yeah, twenty yeah, percent of players yeah, yeah. in the top flight. Yeah, yeah. In terms of all players. Mm. It's tiny. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny well, proportion. Th- Thirty-two teams in the Champions League, twenty-five squad. Yeah, that's yeah. that's eight hundred players. Yeah, that's it. So then you, you've got to think players, and their agents, and their families will be thinking about lifestyle and about yeah. finances, not about wh- what league they may be. I was thinking whether the time would ever come when the the pull of those two, whether it's always going to be just those two countries, or whether anyone else will get involved in this. It looks like it's going to be those two countries. I presume, would you say? Well, there's been there's other countries have had a go. So Russia had a go, yeah. and obviously they have yeah, access yeah, to the Champions yeah, League. Yeah. Turkey for a little bit had a go, and they have access to the Champions League. They they, they did it for tax reasons. They, they managed to they, convince they people like Guti. I remember yeah. went to Turkey because they essentially have zero percent tax for. For, for star yeah. stars in certain industries, don't they? So they attracted players for that, but you, you obviously still have the cha- access to the Champions League. Mm. The Middle East, there was the the Stars lead in um, in the UAE, which I think uh, kind of attracted players at the very very tail end of their careers. Pep and Guardiola, occasionally, yeah, Pep Guardiola, <laughs> and occasionally you've got someone like Asamo Gian going. Mm-hmm. That I think it's fair to say is partly lifestyle, partly money. I don't yeah. think there was any sort of sporting excellence. The difference with the States and China is it could get, and there's problems with both, which we should probably touch on, but it, they have the economic power and the pull to maybe change the market a little bit. Not so necessarily that overtake Europe, but so that it could well be that if you are presented with, if you are a West Ham player and you, you are aware that you're never going to play in the Champions League, you've come to the end of your contract, mm-hmm. there's no Champions League club in for you, no club who is, has any hope of going to the Champions League in for you, no team that could ever win a trophy going in for you. And an offer comes from Miami or from Los Angeles. I I I don't think it's ridiculous to, to assume that the players would st- will start to think about that. So how much is that a decision? I mentioned at the beginning about head and heart. The cynics would suggest it's all head because it's all about money. But actually, part of it might be heart because you're thinking about where you best live, where you mm. want to take your family, where if you have young kids, you want them to grow up. So actually, it might be a slightly more measured mm. decision. And it would apply. We should say. I mean. You, you mentioned Andy about who would go and would it be a player in their prime there is going to be you would suggest at least initially that second tier group of players who this will affect first and it will only be because of that 
that any sort of first tier plays unless you've got an outlier who would make the decision based on head mm. and if you're talking about China as well quite a lot of the people that they're now targeting if Diego Costa for an example they are targeting players who are in their prime but how much are they going to have to pay for that a huge amount of mm. money it will take somebody like Diego Costa cracking that egg mm. and you have to think about what well, David Beckham went at 32 you mentioned in your stream of consciousness that Sebastian Giovinco was what 28 when he yeah, went over younger, to the 26, States 26, 27 Even, so that's you know that's an Italian international who went over and he so he he might not necessarily be an example of a player in your, their prime who is one of the, the, the kind of top tier of players, but it's certainly one that you, straddles it at least you, to yeah. make the point. Giovinco was on the periphery though, wasn't he? A little bit at the time, was he at Juventus? Was Juve? and, and as he probably was making the decision that perhaps Rory is, was talking about that players might make in the future in that I'm not getting into the team as regularly as I would like. Therefore, I'm not going to, you know, and, and I'm certainly not going to be playing for Juve in the Champions League. And here's a is a really intriguing opportunity, which is more enticing than one or two sort of mid-ranking clubs in other divisions who might be interested in me. But I, I'm I'm just wondering whether the what you, the, the the hypothetical West Ham player that mm. you just described is that. If those are the sorts of players that an MLS would be able to attract, is that not a factor in, in what might hold it back, though, from from world domination? Are they not going to need to be able to to tear a player away from the potential of playing in the Champions League and, and take them over to the States before we can start considering that, you know MLS to be a, a threat to the big European leagues? I, I don't think we should think in terms of world domination. I think that, that the problem with this conversation... So more even spread, ten, yeah, perhaps. ...tends to be that people... Th- if you say, I think MLS or China or, you know, the Kazakh League is going to be, you know, in 10 years' time, I think will be a, a viable contender. People assume what you're saying, that it, assume that it's kind of a zero-sum game and that, no, the Premier League has to be the best or, you know, or La Liga has to be the best or Europe has to be the best. It doesn't. It just it has to be a viable option. And it's actually quite healthy for the game if there's more countries that are viable options because it means more players get to play in... Uh, that, well, the level goes up everywhere because the, rather than being concentrated yeah. in a few clubs in a yeah, few yeah. leagues so it's good for the game on, on a global level um, I don't think I think that the Champions League will prevent the very very best going at the peak of their powers to countries outside the Champions League until America and China are invited into the Champions League which is not something we should necessarily but rule out it's exactly what I was going to say the, the, the problem with extrapolating that you might have a couple of teams in America who have a f- group of fantastic players you, 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 and they'll play each other in, if they're in the same conference two or three times uh, you might have a couple of Chinese teams of the is it 10 or 12 in the Chinese Super League so you know 10% 20% of that league having uh, good good players in it but the problem is is that the teams in the MLS will never play the teams in the Chinese Super League mm. teams in the Chinese Super League will never play apart from in any sort of pre-season tournament the, the, the pull of the Champions League is it gets even if it diversifies all across Europe, there is a chance that they will all meet at some point and you will be able to get a, a, a competition that reflects those clubs and their players in the best way. So yes, the, to bridge that gap, you invite MLS clubs or Chinese clubs into a, a, a global Champions League and, the, and then you have an answer which might, meet, might make this sort of thing mm. a lot easier and a lot quicker. Is the driving force behind, say, is a world league or a world competition, is the driving force the money behind the clubs or the players deciding to play in other countries? Will it come from the clubs or the which owners the of the chicken, clubs? Which is the chicken, which is the Is it players going to play in different countries which causes this to happen or is it the owners of the clubs with their finances saying, we don't really want to be playing teams just in America we want to be playing teams in Europe and, and teams in, in China in terms of finances as well and that's the driving force to push the world together in terms of playing in some kind of 
worldly because financially you would think it would make sense surely yeah. for the for the Chinese clubs to, to play in LA and Miami and, and Barcelona and, I'm sure and the in Chi- London I'm so. sure the Chinese clubs will be looking at that and thinking that's something they'd like to explore the MLS have a slightly different approach because the owners tend to act together yes they have to don't they yeah they have to act together oh, so, the, okay. so the owners whether MLS would look at it and think we they might, they might actually think we don't need to be playing against European teams. We, that is a league that might think it's not necessarily in our interests to subsume our own identity into a broader identity. But I'm sure in China it's something... How does that. MLS compare to, say, you've got the Champions League mm-hmm. or, or the, the Premier League? How does it compare in terms of a competition, How the standard of it well, at it, the moment? It's is impossible it, how, how to... You, I, mean, you I can't really I'm gauge it. I watch a load of MLS, but I, people always say, oh, no, it's it's, you know, it's... Lead one standard, or it's lead two standard, or it's you know it's it's the Darden Duck standard, and the Premier League is is amazing. Mm. But I, I, this is I bet, yeah, shouldn't shouldn't say anything. I've learned my lesson, not say anything too controversial. I just think a lot of this <laughs> standard stuff is a myth. You'll never learn that. It's a complete wrong, myth. Okay. I went to a Belgian second division game. I went to two Belgian second division games a few weeks ago, and the first one was probably roughly comparable to lead two. The second one was a championship standard game. The two teams were perfectly, they'd, they'd be fine, they may not be fine in the championship, they'd finish 16th, 17th in the championship. That is the Belgian second division. Okay. This idea that kind of the Premier League and La Liga and the Bundesliga and Serie A are so incredibly far ahead of everywhere else is complete nonsense. The best teams are, the best teams are way ahead of anything. Juventus would smash an MLS team in a competitive game. Not a question about that. Would Empoli... Probably not. Mm-hmm. They'd, they'd probably beat them, but it wouldn't be especially. It wouldn't be really very heavy. Would I don't know? Would Burnley hammer LA Galaxy? They might beat them. It's mouthwatering prospects. <laughs> I'd love to see it. You put yourself down for that one, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you can see the Galaxy saying, "Let's get over to Turf Moor, give them hell." That's Americans for they, you. They they'd probably beat them, <laughs> but I don't think they'd beat them. And it's the same with it's the same within countries. Would if you put I don't know who's whoever's thirteenth in the championship, Norwich or whatever. If you put this Norwich team in the Premier League, they wouldn't be embarrassingly bad. It's not that they'd lose 5 0 every week. They, they probably wouldn't win it. Well, they certainly wouldn't win it. But this whole kind of, oh, the standard is like this, it just really frustrates me because I don't think the standard is. I don't know. How, it's really hard to compare. And there is no cri- direct criteria. Because you don't watch football match of professional footballers anyway. They can all pass and they can all tackle. But the, but the standard of the football is not taking the players from Europe to those countries no, no, necessarily. No, that's yeah. not the draw. Yeah. No, that is not the draw. That's absolutely true. Yeah. But the what only way that improves is, is by having those players, players going yeah. across. And you need the players to go when they are... Is that, is that, it happened in England. And this is the other thing that people forget is that when the first wave of foreigners came to England, like Vim Yonk, your teammate <laughs> at Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> it inspires a little giggle from Andrew. <laughs> the Vim Yonk is my, one of my favourite chinch stories that he's never told on such a story. Um, There's plenty of time yet. Which, yeah, I love the Vim Yonk story. But the, <laughs> the Vim Yonk didn't come because he thought, oh, England is, oh, England is, you know, it's a great country. The standard of football is so high. I would get to play with Andy. Is Hitler. that Vim Yonk? That's Vim Yonk. <laughs> I, said, a direct I did think I was the was major pull for his yeah. move to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. He's, he's not thinking, I really want to play with Ian Nolan and Andy Hinchcliffe. That's not what he's thinking. How very He's dead. coupled Ian you. Nolan will be Nolan. up in arms. <laughs> but to be compared with you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Vim Yonk was thinking, they're going to pay me loads more money than anybody else, so I'm mm. going to go there. That's exactly, and he, Vim Yonk was what, 30, 31 when he came? He was old, yeah, he was towards yeah, the end. Yeah. Classy player, really classy player, had played for you know, a great Ajax team. Didn't go to Sheffield Wednesday because he just desperately wanted to live in Sheffield. He want, did it because of well, that's very nice. We should and say. Yeah, lovely terrific, city, terrific, lovely terrific. City. But the, what happened with the Premier League was that the first ones who came were 34, 35, then they were 32, yeah. then they were 30, 
then there were 28, and then you got a couple. Ah, right, and it, okay. And it, it worked. That's how it works. That's how the Premier League dot those foreigners. They didn't all suddenly, all you know, the best players in Serie A didn't suddenly think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go play in England now. Just, it was far worse. The standard was, in the same way as we now look down our nose on all these other countries, the rest of Europe looked down on England. They looked at it and saw Andy Hinchcliffe playing at left back. That's unfair. It's a representation of English football. It's That's unfair. I'm it, sorry. It, it's you know, the champion, both the Champions League and the Premier League are relatively recent history. Aren't they? I mean, yeah. how often have, have people you know, tweeted you to say, when you've, when you've made a point about the Premier League, uh, that football wasn't invented 25 years ago, you know. And, uh, but, but equally, then when you're talking about well, Europe being, you know, the Premier League being dominant and European football being dominant, it's as though it has always been, yeah, has been the case. And, and the Champions League, let's remember, has evolved. You know, it's evolved from being, you know, the straight knockout competition of the European Cup days to, you know, getting the group stage introduced. We had two group stages, didn't we, yeah. at, at one point? And then it was sort of, you know, it was tailored back a little bit. And it's going to change again now with automatic entry for, for the top four clubs in the in the most high-profile leagues, isn't it? So, you know, you won't have to go through qualifying. You know, you'll always have four English, Spanish, Italian and German sides in the competition. So that the number of players who get to play in the Champions League may be reduced even further yeah. because it'll just be the same clubs over and over again. So it may well have to evolve again in the not too distant future to to keep it fresh and to keep it keep it interesting so that could be a factor as well couldn't it for for players in in their mindset as to where they're they're playing Hugh knows much better than me about things like um, uh, salary caps and <laughs> the collective, art, collective fashion girls. No, definitely, well, a real can neither, of worms of, there. neither of those two things. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, and the collective bargaining that is in in, a, in North American sport. But is that not something that would potentially hold MLS back as well? Is things like the salary cap? You know, you might be able to have a marquee player per team, but you know, just because you know LA Galaxy has managed to you know convince some European style to go and join them doesn't mean that's going to open the floodgates because they wouldn't be able to sign yeah. any more of those sorts of players. Yeah, yeah so there's, th- there are, with both the US and China, there's, there's issues with, with this idea of, of influxes of players. In China, it's the, you now have to contribute the same amount as the transfer fee to yeah. a central fund. They are, there's also apparently talk of uh, the money that the players get paid might have to stay in China for a certain amount of time, which will make it less appealing because... That means you can't take your money. You can't go to money and take the money out of China. You can just spend like twelve months there and yeah. cash in, and mm. you, you get it at the end, not necessarily right. when. You, or you get the the balance of it at the end, not while you're there. So you can't. The money's not going out of the out of the country. The, it looks like the Chinese. It, that is slowing China's this kind of this whole splurge that China had is now is starting to slow down. With the US, it is things like the salary cap. It's the designated player rule. It's collective bargaining that the players sign with MLS and are then assigned to a club. There's this weird thing where they put they can kind of put they can put what do they call it a um, identified player or something um, where a club can say right he's we like him he's ours. So with Drogba, I think don't remember he went ended up at Montreal, but another club had put a kind of identifying had put a claim in on Didier Drogba, European right. Cup winner. Uh, and said he's ours if anyone's going to sign him it's us and then Montreal had to pay them yeah, we saw him first yeah. the rest of you haven't he's heard of him yet it's Didier Drogba yeah. everyone's seen him so th- there are things that might make it more difficult and I'm not the thing is in the States as in China it's not in their interests to get loads of foreigners in one of the things that depresses me about women's football the most not depresses that's the wrong word but one of the things I find most surprising about women's football at the moment in the in the women's Premier League is the fact that they've all the clubs signed so many foreign players. And you'd have thought that of all the... You, this is a new league. 
of all the things you could do to to make a unique product that people want to watch is don't take the bit of the Premier League that people resent. Mm. But they're, they're going through the same processes that, that the Premier League went through. We we need those players to make people notice because those players have star power. They're sometimes a little bit more kind of mysterious and unknown. Therefore, they might attract people to watch a product that if it just yeah. has X, Y, Z from local areas, you think, well, that's going to damage the reputation because it doesn't sound like they're very good. Mm. And even though they might be fantastic players, unfortunately, it's all about the PR. It's the marketing. It's the sense of, look at, look at Carly yeah. Lloyd coming to Manchester City. Yeah. This might stop Tony Duggan playing for Manchester City for a while but it doesn't matter because Carly Lloyd and that's yeah. going to add another 300 to the gate or something like that and it's that, that in incremental stages which is surely just exactly what you say in the and Premier seen, League went through yeah, yeah. And they've seen it work in France and Germany which you know still are the, the, the strongest leagues aren't they in, in, in women's football they've seen yeah. them you know cherry pick the best players from particularly in Scandinavia you know, to great success, but they've also bought players over from from North America to play in you know clubs like Lyon. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Alex Morgan has played at Lyon for a bit, hasn't she? So they they have, they they that has been successful in France and Germany. So I, I suppose as we yeah, as yeah, we've yeah. so often done in in England with men's football, we've peered over the fence, seen what's working for somebody else, and tried to replicate it. But you wonder whether the French and German leagues have done it because that looked that is the kind of the the dominant thinking, the dominant ideology in in the most successful, most high-profile men's leagues in the world is by stars from yeah. all over. And I just, it just strikes me as being, given the success the England, this is way off topic, but given the success the England women's team have had, it strikes me as being slightly unfortunate that, they, that the clubs themselves are thinking, well, this works for the men, so we better do it for the women as well. I'm not sure that that necessarily is, that logic holds. I think you've obviously got talented female players in Britain. Give them, give them you've got an opportunity, because it's new, it's, it's fresh snow, like imprint on it what you want. You don't have to go and import talent, but it's so to relate it to MLS in China. I don't think it's in their interest necessarily to have just a lead full of foreign players. I'm certain that's not what the Americans would want. I doubt it's what. It's, in fact, I know it's not what the Chinese want. The Chinese government doesn't want that. Yeah. But it's it's that ability to, as the standard of your domestic players increases, to attract a higher quality of of import and more of them in more places. I guess that's important. That might make it more viable. So when you do have the 28, 29 year old player who is out of contract. They might look at the states and think, do you know what? Sebastian Giovinco is having a really good time there. It looks like he's enjoying his life. He's playing brilliant football and he's a massive star. I want that because there's huge commercial opportunities available as well. Um, when you were a player, mm. you're a bright man. Would you have liked mm. to have gone abroad? Apparently, this is interesting. Oh, here we <laughs> go. Was, no, Another no, made-up no, no, no. club that Not tries to sign AC Milan. <laughs> Apparently, Rosenborg AC Milan. Yeah, because AC Milan didn't have anybody who could play in your position. No, Maldini, rubbish. <laughs> and apparently they came over to watch uh, myself and Paul Lake play and decided to sign neither of us. No, <laughs> that, that was the only... But the how, only what, yeah, but what criteria would you make the decision on? Oh, I, wouldn't we're talking about. I, I was frightened enough to move from Manchester to Merseyside because I was petrified as a, as a youngster, mm. as a young'un. Well, you would uh, be so the only man who was a little yeah, bit yeah. Uh, anxious <laughs> about a journey down the East Lanks Road. Exactly, yes. So, no, I, I, playing abroad to me was an absolute no-no. But, but what about somewhere like America, which is a slightly uh, different version of abroad? Different to playing abroad. What about America? <laughs> How is in, it you wouldn't have What's had to learn a new language. You, wouldn't been going to, you would have been going somewhere I'd have where you the language much enough. more familiar with. I can speak what they speak in Italy. What's that? Italian. You sure? Yes. I can do that. Hand signals, absolutely fine. It wasn't about that. I wasn't worried about going to play. It was because it was in another. And it wasn't the. the when did I start playing? God, through the mist of time. 86, 87. I just know from it wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have done it. I would. And it would have been a very rare thing then. Yes. No, not really. Well, there, yes. were, there, were, there were. Well, it was rare, but it wasn't unheard of. Just you no, had no, that yeah, great, but, but that a rare great compared period. to. 
that well, actually, nobody does it now, but you know, mm. rare compared to any any yeah, player yeah. changing that, country. That was the that that period is the most when Chinch was playing was and just before it was the most prolific time for English players going abroad. Ian Rush, John Aldridge, Fran- Francis, Don- Francis and Des Walker Steve at Sampdoria, yeah, Paul Platt. Rideout, your cup winning oh, yes. mate, played for Bari. Do- but they're all Jordan good players, Cowens. aren't they? Yeah, well, that was them, that was the big difference between myself not, and them. Not sure how good Paul Rideout was. Paul Rideout, oh no, he could. Didn't he score when he was uh, at Wembley when he was about twelve years old? What, and the end Cliff Cup Didn't he score from the halfway line or something? Oh no, in that cup No, no, that's how he made his name. Yes, he went to play in China as well for a while. The the, end of his career. It, w- it wouldn't have been unheard of. It, w- it, it has always been rare for English players to go abroad, and it's important probably to note that whatever happens, English players will still not go abroad. That's still not something that will will come up. But I just I always think it's a sh- and maybe it's one of the reasons I wasn't a footballer. But I always think it's a shame that more players don't look at it and think my li- it's not so much that I can earn more money there. It's that my life will be nicer there. That I will have it. That is a nice place to live. So someone like San Sebastian, where Real Sociedad play is the sort of city that would... But players of that age have no experience of life. They could be 19, no, 20, no. 20, 20. They don't really but know. If you're They're still... Older, if you're 27, well, you 28. Be, exactly. That's when maybe you've experienced a bit of life and you've travelled, maybe played in the... And you've seen other countries and then you can make it... But you just don't know. You just have this view of what Italy will be like mm. or Spain will be like. And you make a decision based on that. Players at 25, 26, yes, they've, they've had five or six years of, of travelling and playing. And I should point out, I'm not saying that if you're, a, if you're Lionel Messi, you should be thinking, you know what, it'd be nice to live in Florence for a bit. Mm. It's, it's for those players who are not Lionel Messi. But there, are, there is one other factor that, is, that has to be brought up here. And that is that often it's not the players themselves who make the decision where they play. Mm-hmm. It's the people, people behind them. When I, when I was reading your meandering stream of consciousness the other thing that I thought about is that it's a discussion that's off the, I don't think the clubs themselves talk about this too much but it's, it's clearly something that's there and it's something that perhaps affects teams like Newcastle for example those in you know those in the far corners of of the country that it's harder for them to uh, attract the players they want to sign than it is uh, the clubs that are based in the big metropolitan areas you know if, uh, if you're a foreign player moving to the Premier League I would imagine you visualise yourself living and playing in London and perhaps, you know, Manchester with the prestige, that that would be, you know, an acceptable option for you. I'm guessing the same would apply, you know, that, you know, obviously, you know, PSG, that's, that's got a, a draw, you know, living and working in, in Paris. The big European cities, are, they've got that selling point, haven't they, which however much you know, Newcastle and Sunderland or, or even to an extent the Merseyside clubs, mm-hmm. I think they, they've sometimes had these these problems, haven't they? That It's it, difficult to sell their ge- geographical location to a player who perhaps doesn't quite get the prestige of the club involved. And, and is that, would that not be a factor in terms of the growth of the game in, in America? Because you've already picked out New York, LA and Miami, but you can't just have a strong league no. based on three cities. Mm-hmm. However, nice a place Portland might be, are the Portland Timbers going to have a difficult, a difficult job selling their club to you know an, an aspiring but, young footballer? But just like Middlesbrough could attract people into the Premier League because of the Premier League, oh, and, and also Yarm. Yeah. But just like yeah, just nice. like uh, pe- people can be brought across, in, in, but not in, that, not that they weren't really getting you know prime. No. But, but at least you, were, but like. you, you, you get enough to, to make that point, yeah. to, to have enough people making the MLS better because even the teams that can't necessarily attract the best players because of their geographical location, they can attract better players to make the whole thing seem more attractive to everybody else. And then, uh, you know, almost 
by increment, you get every every team taking up, stepping up a notch, and you get a more level playing field and a better competition as a whole. And there is one other thing, which is that it's in America, and that to a group of prim- well European or Latin American young men, America has a cachet in a way that Yarm does not, or England does not, or Turkey does not, or Germany does not. I don't actually know whether. Do you think that provincial Italian cities are a bit, oh, we've only got these, these 7,000 amazing restaurants in this beautiful bell tower. <laughs> However, will the players, will we attract the players? I don't, I don't know if that, apply, I mean, that might only apply in England, which is, and I think it's largely weather-based, if I'm completely honest. But the, um, I think in the States, yeah, the part of the problem is it's Miami, New York, LA, Chicago, that's where the players will, will be drawn. But there is a cachet to American culture in general amongst players. If you think about the connections between sort of high-profile footballers and the NBA. They all love the NBA. They all love Drake, although I understand he is Canadian. Couldn't tell you one of his songs, <laughs> but apparently he is Canadian. You know, there is this kind of obsession with the culture, and I wonder whether that plays into it as well as an advantage to, to America. Well, Toronto China, is also very popular, yeah. and that's Canadian. And chi- famously, <laughs> in Montreal, so. and that's French. And China, is, <laughs> China, I think, has a bigger problem with that, that, I, that no matter how much money there is in China... I think that a lot of players, like the 19-year-old Chinch, would look at it and think, that's too foreign, that's too far away, it's too different, I don't know how I'd survive. You'd feel completely isolated in a culture like that. Whereas in America, I think they look at it and think, it's a culture I understand, it's a culture I admire. It's a country where I wouldn't necessarily be recognised all the time, which will appeal to a lot of them. You can walk well, about... For Chinch, that's most well, countries. Yes. But you, you would reckon that agents of players would say, go to China for two or three years, make a killing financially, and then come back and play your serious football back in Europe or maybe think about living, having a lovely lifestyle in America, then use China as a money-making exercise rather than the standard of football is really good there. You're going to be helping develop football in that country as well. It is all, it's seemingly all about the money because some of the wages they're paying, Carlos Tevez and everything, that seems crazy, absolutely crazy, far more than you can ever, I presume, in, in, in Europe and the MLS. So at the moment, China is seen in that way, would you say? Even though they're changing the rules in terms of how much money they can spend. For players late in their career, the thing that would change China, if you managed to get the younger players over, we mentioned Diego Costa earlier on, if you get a player of that calibre at that stage of their career, Mm. then clearly the standard will rise in China, but also the perception will change. And so players who are thinking that they can go when they're 35 will start to realise, well, actually, I can't go when I'm 35 because the standard's high enough to preclude that as an option. So I might have to go earlier and then they have to make a completely different decision. And again, as you said earlier, and you just mentioned, Chinch, that it's not necessarily the player that makes this decision Mm. on his or her own. Yeah, I think that's important. I don't don't know how much... Agents of all the things they will consider. I'm not sure lifestyle is actually particularly one of them. I'm not sure that they'd think. It's interesting you say about the country. America might be the pull, but whether you actually play in Miami or play in Los Angeles or New York will be how much money are they going to pay me? And I'll live in whichever yeah, city. Yeah. I don't think which has got the nicest bell tower, <laughs> which has got the nicest tram system. I think I'll go and live there. Well, they won't think. They will not. I guarantee yeah. you. I know football has changed and they've evolved and hopefully think a lot more deeply and take uh-uh. and no, I doubt it yes <laughs> so really the, the country might they might say I don't want to go to China because I don't really know too much about it I, I go to America I know what I'm getting there mm. and then it's about how much money are they willing to pay me as opposed to that team over there and yeah. they'll go wherever the money is ultimately but the country will, will be a big appeal but again I think the agent's family will say well if you're going we're all going aren't we so then it becomes a family decision and not just the individual player thinking about his career and who he's playing for you you nearly ended up playing in London at one point in your career I didn't did you? I nearly went to Tottenham damn Alan Sugar and his private oh, jets poor old Christian was, Gross was that what? not was, but, but that, was that an attraction to you was the idea of, of moving to a capital club in theory yes 
but it, it didn't happen. I moved, I was at Everton, could have gone to Tottenham. It didn't work out and I went to Sheffield Wednesday and I was so much happier staying in the north. And that backs up what I was saying mm. about really travelling to London, let alone travelling to Turin or, or Milan. It just, that backed up that really that's, geographically, I was very happy in the north of England playing my football. I don't know why, that's just how it was. But playing for Tottenham seemed glamorous and yeah, maybe for a couple of years, living in London, great. But I'm not, that never really... Well, we've would, would have taken me down there. We've established before, unfortunately, useful as you are at times in these sorts of conversations, you aren't the typical no. Premier League footballer. A majority of your teammates, if they were making a decision between a London club and a Sheffield club. Back then or now? Back then? Well, I think, I, I think uh, yeah, the pull would be to, to, to London or she absolutely it would be, yeah. But that's what interests me again, like Paolo Di Canio, Celtic coming to Sheffield Wednesday, Vim Yonk. Mm coming to Sheffield Wednesday it sure has to be the finances that yeah. pulled them there has to be but if they had a choice of Sheffield or London absolutely I think most of the people I knew would, would have gone to London which is why those clubs might be having to pay a little bit more yeah. to attract the players yes. they might have to work an awful lot harder to sell it as a concept yeah and so, it's, it's, it's geographical isn't it yeah, yeah we've yeah. probably decided that it is all about the money and we probably didn't want to at the beginning of this conversation but it may well be at least the thing that the straw that breaks this particular camel's back should we have a a different future, a, a different footballing hierarchy to come. It will take oodles of cash yeah. to be that straw. I just, it's just wonder whether players do they do they look at the Champions League and see it as the competition they want to be playing in, or do they say, well, actually, I just want to be paid as much money as I could possibly earn. So whether I play ten years or two years in China, ten years, two years in America, how much money am I getting? Is it are all players purely driven? by how much money they can earn and do they genuinely care about which league they play in? They, I've always thought that players never know how, you know, when they, when they, with the big injuries coming, when they might fall out of favour, when their earning power might diminish. We always talk about football as a you know, 15-year career, but it can only be a six-year career. It can be a 10-year career. You have to maximise your earning potential uh, to an extent. But at the same time, I do think that at some point, and we talk, we always we talk about money a lot and kind of... Indeed, just last week we did, kind of, you know, when will the bubble burst? I'd have thought that at some point the players might think, do you know what? I've already earned over the first, you know, 10 years of my career, I've earned 30 million quid. I can probably take a bit of a risk now. You'd, you'd have thought that there, there comes a point where they're earning so much mm. that maybe someone points out to them, look, actually, the pressure's kind of off now in terms of you having to earn as much money as possible. You have more money than you will ever need. Is but that, then maybe that's that, not how humans work. I don't is know. that what took Wayne Rooney to Everton rather than to China yeah. or to America? Because yeah. surely options would have been there for him to play wherever he wanted to do. But he wanted to stay in this country, go back to his former club. And, and that's often that, painted as but being... He had so much, he had the luxury of, of being able yeah. to say, it's not about the money, it's about where I want to play. But that, that's often painted as being typical English footballer Wayne Rooney. He couldn't handle it anywhere else no, no, because no, he's no, not got all. the broad enough horizons. No. But actually, you can paint it the other way, which is to say, well, he, he'd rather be in a in a place where his lifestyle is settled, it suits him more, he's with his family, family his exactly. young kids, yeah. so you can, you, can, you can choose whichever side of co the coin you want. Mm. But if a player's making his way up, obviously Rooney is at that end where he's done so well, he's earned so much money, he has the luxury of choosing where he plays his football in his, yeah. in his 30s, but if someone's 23, 24, and it's a pivotal decision, it's not necessarily the league or the country that he plays, it's about where the money is, because yeah. I've got to earn that money before I have the luxury of then deciding where I play my football later in life. Short career, often two or three significant decisions throughout that career, you're probably not going to give yourself a freebie. No. One that, no. that yeah, might yeah. not work out. Yeah. Uh, it is time before we go to once again hear a yarn, a yarn of days gone by. It's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult... No, not Andy. What? Oh. 
I'm telling the soccer story this week. What? Wait a minute. Never mind, You've Jack Anori. What a shocking twist for a soccer story. You've never played football. You can't have any football. stories. My, I've got a hilarious story about a hilarious comic character by the name of Andy Hinchcliffe. <laughs> you have well, a soccer story it? about Andy Hinchcliffe, I've got a soccer but story it's not told by Andy Hinchcliffe. That Chinch should have told. But hasn't. Wait a minute. But I think no this one, is. Where's this come from? No one. No one mentioned this. From mentioned the sources. Happen. Don't ever tell you. This has come from via my friend Ollie Kay. No, it's not where the times. stories come from. It's the fact that I didn't know this was happening. It doesn't matter. This oh. is a surprise. Save, save it for next week, Andy. Okay. Oh so, yeah. Tell a Rory story. <laughs> this story <laughs> comes from David White's recently published autobiography. Oh no. Uh, would, shall I just read it? Shall I do it in my reading voice? Yeah. Oh, do right, it in my, okay. my book voice. This is this is the, in the words of David White. Chinch's former Manchester City team. For, we yes. played with Chinch at Room yes. Partner. Yeah, Room Partner. Oh, really? oh okay, yeah. here we go. Yeah. Do you have a famous youth cup team in 1986? Yeah. Do you know which story this might be? No, we could be right. roomed together for five or six it's years. Not, it's not embarrassing, I just think it's really funny. Oh, okay. Right. So, in the words of David White, <laughs> I was the team's elected professional football association's representative, and every year our union would send me the player of the year ballot forms to distribute among the lads. Andy Hinchcliffe was a renowned mischief maker and would never take the voting system seriously. Instead, flouting the rules to compile his own piss-taking Nugget 11 of crap players. Sounds <laughs> about right. Oh, we can still use the word Nugget as well 30 years later. This particular year, he'd cobbled together a full team. Shrewsbury Town's Dud Rugby was invariably his captain, his player of the year, and his young player of the year. 33-year-old Doug Rugby. <laughs> but was struggling to find a keeper. Hang on, he said, and I'm going to have to. Oh, I know what's, co- I know what's coming I'm do- now. I'm going to have to uh, centre a little bit to some rude language that David White chose to use, which is not a style that I would have appreciated <laughs> no, as a writer. Quite right, too. Who was that useless goalie who let in one of my corners this season? To be fair, there weren't many keepers who could deal with Andy's back post in swingers. <laughs> bit, compl- like bit of a compliment. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah, it sounds yeah. like a euphemism yeah. to me. From a man I imagine you nicknamed Chalky, didn't you? <laughs> Chalky White? Yeah. That's what all people told White. Oh, no, 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 no. Chalky, no. Anyway. He, he yeah. hugged the touchline, though, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Anyway. Ron Green. That's the nugget, he laughed, <laughs> promptly strolling his name at the top of the form before handing it back to me. We all then went out for training, and... Different text. Second text. As we were warming up, Mel, who was your manager... Mel Machen. Mel Machen, yeah. uh, Introduced us to a goalkeeper who, due to an injury crisis, was joining us on loan for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'd actually noticed him sitting quietly in a corner of the dressing room while Hinchy and I had been larking about with the PFA forms. <laughs> Lance, this is Ron Green. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that is true. Is that, that true? Is absolutely true, yeah. That, that, is, is, that is bad. Was, yes, that is really bad, isn't it? Yeah. But what are the chances of that, of, of criticising and in being there? It just... Did you apologise? Yeah. Do you, do you <laughs> say no. sorry? When he had me in a headlock and punching me repeatedly in the face. I'm really sorry, Ron. I scored a penalty against him as well. I scored two in one game. One direct from a corner and a penalty. But he, he wasn't going to say the penalty, was he? But he probably should have saved the corner. <laughs> I would imagine so. What happened? Oh. Did he confront you about your, your no, I don't think he did. I think merciless he mockery? No. Well, you wouldn't. He just arrived at a club and all this was happening. And, and you were clearly, you know, uh, what? king of the dressing room. Not really. Jack what? the lad, cock of the walk. Not really. <laughs> Those no. things describe you perfectly. That was Paul Molden. No, because <laughs> well, no, I did this. It did happen a lot. I'd said a lot of things that I shouldn't have done at completely the wrong times. I could tell you. I, I have to tell you off off air a Howard Kendall story, which probably put me it put me in his bad books forever for life. <laughs> but now I realise what I did there. Why Dud Rugby? 
Doug Rugby. Doug Rugby. He was like a pigeon-toed centre-half, and he was truly awful at football. <laughs> but he played at, uh, he was at Chelsea. Played at Chelsea with Pat. I'm sure Pat Nevin played with, uh, with Doug Radio Rugby. 6 Music's Pat Nevin. Pat, is that right? Yes, yeah. yes, Pat Nevin. I'm sure Doug, as I now know him. Um, not Rugby. He was uh, at Chelsea. Yeah. One yeah. Scotland cap. He was at Chelsea for three years. Was he? Doug Ruvie uh, and Ron Green, did he say? Yeah, Ron we Green. Should, we should do a double header with the two of them. Yeah. Uh, that's to come on Set Piece Menu. More of Andy's soccer stories over the weeks as well. And thank you very much indeed to Ollie Kay and to David White. Yeah, I'm Is gonna this s- going to be a theme where you keep trying to bring in horrible stories trying about to how find out stories about nasty you. I am? Yes. These are excellent ideas. If, if anybody to my ex-wife, it's <laughs> going to be full of them. If anybody is currently in contact with Andy's ex-wife and would like to pass on, uh, they will have an erotic free song, but not the kind of free song that Andy's hoping for. Uh, before we go, a reminder to join our Premier League Predictions League, if you can. We've only got a couple of more weeks uh, of telling you, so I'm going to flog this particular dead horse. Can you please attempt to correctly guess the final Premier League table? Don't forget the URL. It's tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu if that's too much for you you can click on the link on our twitter page uh, a reminder you have until six o'clock 6 p.m on september the first our twitter page is at set piece menu please do subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to steve andy and rory in particular rory for an excellent rory story and to you for listening we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. rory story that could that's that, got a that ring to it, thing. It? if i had more sort of stories then that could be a thing you, more, you almost have done something similar where you've said something at completely oh, yeah, the wrong the time. time when yeah. someone stood behind you that you're slagging off mainly when i've left that, that type of thing <laughs> No, I do that sort of, that thing happens to me a lot. Really? Yeah. We used to have a problem at, at the BBC, you send an internal message, but you have to write the person's name that you want to send the message to, and then in the next line down, you write the message. But it was fraught with jeopardy <laughs> that you would write the person's name that you were slagging off in yep. the send to section and would click send before you realised your mistake. Did that happen to you? Oh, all the time. Who are you slagging off? As if we didn't know. Don't look at Hugh. I'd never do it. I'd slag off Hugh to his face. I wouldn't need to send that him Oh, yeah, you yeah. do that, you do that in yeah. text. I don't, I don't tend to, to slag anybody off on email. It's too dangerous. I once sent out an email from somebody else's account, which was... Cowardice. <laughs> which is, no, which is very amusing. Uh, many of you who listen to this may well have heard of Mike Toulon, who presents the Key 103 Breakfast Show. He, um, he had a really strange obsession with uh, the haircut of Richard Fleishman back in the mid-2000s. People will remember Richard Fleishman from Coronation Street. Yeah, that's right. And then yeah. a, a slightly trifling but uh, nevertheless important musical career. And he, um, he had that sweep over fringe that the was very popular. The emo fringe. The emo fringe. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was it was quaffed beautifully. I mean, that man must have spent hours with the straighteners every morning. Right. But Mike, even though Rich Felician was probably about 20 years younger than him, thought, this is this is a young, fashionable guy. I'm going to try this. And so he decided that he would try the new hairdo. And I decided to go onto his email and send an email to everybody in the company saying, I'm feeling a little bit nervous about my hair today. So if everybody could compliment it, I'd be very, very grateful. <laughs> and so he couldn't quite understand why everybody was complimenting him on his hair throughout the whole day um I, you get I, 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 he left it open so oh, i decided that i would take advantage you felt that was all right did you yeah it was hilarious yeah within journalism there is a there he is an acceptance that if you leave your if you leave your laptop open and your email or your twitter page up then people will tweet from it's your open account. season yeah. yeah no that's that's rubbish Sh- that was shut your laptop that's rubbish that was shut it? your laptop 
It's data protection, Andy. Yeah, it's just, it's just for no, safety. No, it isn't. Just for safety. If you accidentally leave your email, it doesn't mean that I automatically think, well, I've got every right to go on there and send whatever I want to whoever I want. Of course I don't. I close no. it off and say, Steve's a good friend of mine. He won't want that open. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a decent person. It's only for hilarious banter. It's not for, for committing crimes. I'm not saying go on someone else's laptop and I, defraud That's exactly somebody. what you're saying. I'm not. I'm saying send a hilarious tweet. Happens to Jonathan Wilson, author of Inverted the Pyramid, all of the time. As soon as he's around Midel Delaney, the Independence Chief Football Correspondent, Midel will find a way to get onto Jonathan's phone or laptop and tweet from his account something abusive about Jonathan's followers.